Here's Anne Graham Lotz. You know the grace of God in your life, chosen by the Father, conformed by the Spirit. Are you trying so hard to be a Christian? You're wearing yourself out. One reason you're not rejoicing is because you're just dead tired. <laughs> Frustrated, trying to be a Christian instead of realizing that you open up your life and surrender your life to the Holy Spirit and He makes you like Christ. Welcome to this week's Living in the Light message with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz. Her teaching today from 1 Peter shows us how to live in a world that's rejecting God. Here's Ann. We have a young friend that we're taking care of. She's a freshman at Duke University, and she was taking a class on the environment in the first semester, and her professor said, and he listed the natural resources and the rate of consumption of each one and all that, and he said, if we continue using our natural resources the way we have been, increasing by 2% every year, which is the normal rate of increase, in 25 years, we will run out of natural resources, gas, oil, water, coal, all of the things that we feel are a necessity for life. Time magazine on the cover had a picture of planet Earth with rubber bands around it just holding it together because it's falling apart. Even the secular world knows that we're coming to the end of the world as we know it. I believe God is speaking to us. And I believe he speaks nowhere any clearer than through the letter of 1 Peter. And if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter... And David Jeremiah said about 2 Peter that right before the end of the age, as we know it, right before our Lord Jesus Christ comes back, the years that immediately precede the return of Jesus Christ, during those years, 1 Peter will be the most widely read book in the Bible. Because 1 Peter tells you and me how to live in a world that is invoking and inviting the judgment of God. How to live in a world that's rebelling against him. How to live in a world that's blaspheming his name. How do you live in a world like that? But let me tell you something else in case you're thinking, Anne, you are crazy. I mean, the world has always been like this and all these people have been saying it's bad and things are happening and it's going to go on. And that may be true. So maybe Jesus isn't going to come for 2,000 more years and maybe we're not inviting the judgment of God. But listen to me. You're living in the last days of your life and Jesus is coming for you, if not at his return, at your death. So think of it in that terms. And Peter is writing to those who don't have that much time left. None of us are immortal in the sense that we can escape physical death unless the Lord comes and takes us to be with him when we're alive on the earth. But otherwise, if we're not in that generation, we're going to die and meet Jesus then. So we're living in the last days of our life. And Peter is writing to tell these Christians how to live in the last days of their life. And he's writing to Christians who are very aware that it's the last days because these Christians are living in the Roman Empire during the reign of Nero. Nero was a madman with absolute power and control. He was absolutely berserk and he poured out persecution upon the Christians. And so the Christians of Peter's day were under pressure. They were experiencing stress. They were suffering. They were experiencing persecution. Now may I ask you, living in the last days of your life, are you under pressure? What stress are you experiencing? Are you suffering physically, emotionally in some relationship, financially perhaps, or, or professionally in your business or your husband's business? Are you experiencing persecution because of the testimony of God in your life? Then Peter's letter is to you, writing to you and to me, telling us how to live under pressure and stress in the last days of our life. And he opens up and says, the way you begin when you're living in the last days for such a time as this, 
Rejoice! Rejoice in your possessions in Christ. Rejoice in your potential in Christ. Rejoice in your position in Christ. Just rejoice in Jesus Christ. So we're going to begin and look at the possessions that Peter says he's rejoicing in. Keep in mind, Peter is an old man. He's known Christ now 40, 50, 60 years. How long have you known Jesus? Peter's known him for a long time. And my image of Peter is now that he's an old man and because he's been a fisherman, his face is probably weather-beaten and he's tanned and lines all crease his face and I expect he has long gray hair and a long gray beard and, and he's known Jesus for most of his life at this point and he's suffered and he's been beaten and he's been imprisoned and he would look at you today with a twinkle in his eye and his face would break out in a grin and he would say, you know something? I am still thrilled to know Jesus Christ. I am still excited to be a Christian. I am rejoicing in my possessions. Can you say the same thing? How long have you been a Christian? Are you still thrilled to know Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at some of the things that thrilled Peter's heart. First of all, he was thrilled with his possessions, and the first possession that comes to his mind is the grace of God. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Let's put that another way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, to the Christians, strangers in North Carolina because they're just passing through. They're scattered throughout Winston-Salem and Charlotte and Raleigh and North Carolina and Virginia, and they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. Peter says, Christians scattered all over this state and from the outlying areas, and you've come together to study God's word, rejoice in your possession of the grace of God in your life. You have been chosen by the Father, you are being conformed by the Holy Spirit, and you are being cleansed by the Son, and that's God's grace. And Peter would say, let me share with you something of this in my life to tell you why I'm so thrilled with it. Let me tell you about the day Andrew came home, and he said, Peter, I've met the Messiah. And I said, Andrew, you are crazy. And he said, just come and see. So I followed Andrew, and I met this man who was different from any man I'd ever met before. And we talked for a little bit, and, and then one day I, I met him. He, he was actually preaching to a crowd, and he wanted to climb into my fishing boat and preach from the fishing boat. So I said, well, come ahead. And so he stood in the fishing boat, and he preached to the crowd. And then after he finished preaching, he said, Peter, let's go fishing. And I looked at him, and I thought to myself, yeah, I bet you know a lot about fishing. And you come from the city of Nazareth, and city boys don't know anything about fishing. But yeah, we'll go fishing. But I've been fishing all night, and I haven't caught anything, and I doubt that we'll catch anything. And this man turned to me and he said, Then, Peter, how about fishing my way? And I thought, <laughs> what does a city boy know about fishing? But all right, just for fun, I'll fish your way. And I put down that net his way, and I pulled in so many fish, the net broke. And at that point, I looked at this man, and I knew he was more than a man. And you know the impact it had on my life? I bowed before him, and I was never so overwhelmed with my sin and that I wasn't worthy, and that I wasn't good. And I said, leave me. I don't want to be around you. You make me too aware of my sin. And he looked at me. I'll just never forget his eyes. And, and he said, your name is Simon, wishy-washy, compulsive, weak. I'm going to call you Peter because that's what you're going to be, strong, rock-like. Peter, how about following me? And I'll make you a fisher of men. And I dropped that net, and I got out of that fishing boat, and I left my family business, the business that my father had left me, and I went and I followed Jesus. 
And I have never gotten over the thrill of being chosen to be a disciple. Can you imagine, out of all the people living on planet Earth, that God, walking the Earth in a human body, would look at me and say, Peter, I want you to be mine. When have you ever sensed that Jesus was looking at you? And Jesus says, I've brought you here because I want you to be my disciple. That's God's grace. Peter would be the first to tell you, I certainly didn't deserve to be a disciple, but I was chosen. Chosen by the Father, conformed by the Spirit, which is what sanctified by the Spirit means, being conformed, made into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And Peter would tell you, nobody needs that more than me. Let me tell you the things I have done. You talk about stupid things. I have failed so many times. I mean, I saw this crowd coming out, and Jesus had taught them all day, and, and they were hungry. And I said, well, Jesus, send them home. Let them go get their own food. And he looked at me, and then he fed them with what Andrew brought them, five loaves and two fish, and he fed that whole crowd. And then I saw him one day sitting there at a well with this woman from Samaria, and I said, Lord, you're not supposed to do that. And he said, Peter, look up and see the fields white, they're harvest. And I looked up and here came all these Samaritans and, and they were more open and receptive to Jesus than any of the Jews had been. And then I remember Jesus saying, Peter, who do you think I really am? And I said, Lord, you're the son of God. You're God walking the earth in a human body. And he said, Peter, I'm going to the cross. And I, who had just said he was God, said, no, you're not. I've got a better plan for your life. You're not going to the cross. You're going to wear a crown. The cross is not for you. And he rebuked me on that one. And then he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And I said, Lord, <laughs> you just don't know me real well. All these other disciples may deny you, but I'll die for you before I would deny you. And he said, Peter, before the day's out, you'll deny me three times. And I did. Stood right there while he was being mocked and spit upon and everybody had forsaken him. And they said, you know him. And I said, no, I don't. Three times. Oh, I'm here to tell you, nobody has failed more than me. Nobody has fallen more on their face than me. No one is more aware that they can't live the Christian life than me. Which is why I'm so thrilled. I'm being conformed by the Holy Spirit. All I need to do is release my life and surrender my life to the Holy Spirit. And he makes me like Jesus. And then I'm cleansed by the sun. And every time I fail, which is often, and every time I sin, I just come to the cross. And you know, I'll never forget the cross because I was there. And I saw Jesus die on the cross. I saw him do what I told him was not necessary. I saw him do what I said was not God's plan for his life. He died on the cross. And the very cross on which he died, I discovered was for me. I said it wasn't necessary, but you know something? It may not have been necessary for anybody else on planet Earth, but it was necessary for me to cleanse me of my sin. And I claim the forgiveness that was offered by Jesus when he died for me. I was at the cross originally, but let me tell you, every day of my life, in prayer I go back to that cross and I kneel down at the foot of it, and when I sin and I fail and I seem to bumble through the Christian life, I just come to the cross and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and I know I'm forgiven, but I want to be cleansed because I love you, and I don't want anything to come in, in between our relationship. And, and again and again and again and again and again and again, 
I am cleansed by the Son. And that's God's grace. You know the grace of God in your life. Chosen by the Father. Conformed by the Spirit. Are you trying so hard to be a Christian? You're wearing yourself out. One reason you're not rejoicing is because you're just dead tired. <laughs> Frustrated, trying to be a Christian instead of realizing that you open up your life and surrender your life to the Holy Spirit and He makes you like Christ, conformed by the Spirit. And then when you're so aware you're not like Christ and you fail and you sin and you fail and you sin, you come back and back and back to the cross and you're cleansed by the Son. And you don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. And Peter would be the first to tell you, I sure didn't deserve it. It's God's grace giving me what I don't deserve. Rejoice in your possessions. You possess the grace of God in your life. And secondly, Peter says, I possess the gifts of God. And when the world is falling apart, and perhaps the economy crashes, and you lose a lot in this life, Peter says, rejoice, you're wealthy, you're rich. You have the gifts of God, and he pulls out two that are very meaningful when you live in the last days. And the first is in verse 3, which is hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, I rejoice in my possession of the gift of God, which is hope. I'll never forget the hope when it first came into my life. And I had seen Jesus die, and I had seen him buried. And you understand, I had thought he was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer. I had thought he would take us all to a new level of, of world prominence, and Israel would be what she was under King David. And he had gone and died on a cross. And the last words he'd ever heard me say were, I don't know you, I don't know you, and... Then he had gone and died, and I'd never said it right with him. I went out and cried for three days. Tears of bitterness. God, why me? And why did you let this happen? And if only we hadn't come to Jerusalem, if only we had done something differently, if only I'd listened to him when he said, Peter, you would deny me, if only I had prayed when he said, Peter, pray for me. I cried and questioned, God, why me? And God, how could you let this happen? And God, if only I'd done something differently. I went through that for three days. Absolute despair in the pits of depression. And I was in the upper room and the doors were locked and the windows were barred and I heard somebody banging on the door. And I thought the Romans had come to get me. But I heard a woman's voice, so I cracked open the door and there was Mary. It was Sunday morning and she was hysterical and she was saying someone had robbed the grave. And the tomb where Jesus had been buried was now empty. And I can't tell you how angry I was. I was angry at this whole mess, to tell you the truth, but I was even angry that somebody would disturb the body. So I ran out through the streets of Jerusalem to go find this person. And I got to the empty tomb, and I ran inside, and sure enough, it was empty, and there were the grave clothes, but I couldn't find anybody who was responsible, and I was just like a keg of dynamite ready to go off. And so I just tore out of there, not knowing what to make of it. And later that day, Jesus stood before me. And I saw him with my own eyes. And I saw the marks on his brow where the thorns had been, and the nail-pierced hands and the nail-pierced feet. And he spoke to me, and the conversation was so private. I can't relate it to you, but let me tell you something about the hope that I experienced when I saw Jesus. It's a living hope. He's alive. 
And I knew my sin had been forgiven. And that he was going to come into my life in a new way. And that he was going to use me to tell the world about him. And my life has never been the same. I watched him die and I saw him raise and I saw him ascend into heaven and I know just as sure as I stand here that he's coming back to rule on this earth and I have hope. I mean, if God can bring something out of the crucifixion, if that was according to God's plan and that was the worst thing I've ever witnessed in my life, then what do you think he's doing with planet earth as we see it falling apart and disintegrating all around us? It's just falling into place according to God's plan. And I have hope. That doesn't mean I hope so. It means I'm confident in my expectancy that God is in control and he's going to sum up everything in Jesus Christ. He's going to bring blessing out of it. Oh, I rejoice in my possession of the gift of God, the hope that I have in a risen, living, waning, returning Lord Jesus Christ. But I praise him also, not only for the gift of hope, but the gift of a heritage. In verse 4, I have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, that's kept in heaven for me. And leaving Peter's testimony for a moment, I'll just give you a word of my own. Several years ago, we experienced a robbery in Raleigh. And thieves broke into our house in the middle of the day and took everything of value. All the jewelry, silver, precious things that have so many memories. And I was lying in bed that night and I felt myself going into shock. And I was trying to think, what do I have that nobody can take from me? I thought of my children. They could be kidnapped or something could happen to them. I thought of my house. It could burn to the ground or be swept away in a tornado. I thought about my own health. I could go in and and be diagnosed with cancer. I thought about my own life. I could lose that in my car in an accident. And I began to think, you know, I don't have anything that can't be taken away from me. And I was lying there absolutely coming unglued. And then it was like the light bulbs came on. Wait a minute. Let's think about what you have that nobody can take away. And back in my mind, I began to go through the Ephesians chapter 1, and I alphabetized a whole list of blessings I have in Christ that no one can take from me. I'm accepted by God. I'm beloved by God. I'm chosen by God. I'm delivered by God. I'm enlightened by God. I'm forgiven by God. I have His grace. And and you can just go on through the alphabet. Things that no one can ever touch, an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, that is being kept in heaven just for me. And verse 5 says that God is keeping me until I can get to heaven and get those things he's keeping for me. I have a heritage. Those of you who perhaps look at others with their lands and, and gold and all of the wealth untold, would you just count your blessings And the world may be enjoying all of these material things that we can't get our hands on. And if we were being honest, which they would probably like, but they can be snatched from them so quickly. You and I have a heritage, an inheritance that can never be taken. It's eternal. It's kept in heaven for us. And not only do I have a heritage of things like that, but I have a heritage of a family. And I come from a wonderful family on this earth. My parents are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. My husband's parents are Christians and their parents were Christians. My children are Christians. Wonderful Christian family. And I praise God for my heritage. But if you don't come from a family like that, God says, listen to me. Abraham is your father. Peter is your brother. All the saints of the Old and New Testament are members of your family. You belong to the family of God. And all of the family that goes with that, praise God for your possession. The gifts of God 
hope and a heritage that will never fade, never perish, never pass away. And Peter says, I'm rejoicing not only in the grace of God and the gifts of God, but thirdly, the glory of God. In verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And I'm just wondering in what way you're suffering grief and what kind of trial has come into your life. But whatever it is, it's come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I don't believe that means just the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns to earth, but the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life when you go through the suffering. And he says, rejoice in your possession of the glory or the character of God that is revealed through you and is refined by suffering. A little boy went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I just don't understand your sermon this morning. And the pastor said, well, maybe I can help you. What was wrong? And, and he said, well, you said that I could invite Jesus into my heart. And the pastor said, that's right. And the little boy said, but Jesus is a man in a man's body. And the pastor said, that's right. And he said, well, if I'm just a little boy. And the pastor said, that's right. And, and he said, but if I invite Jesus as a man to come live in my heart, you'll be sticking out all over. <laughs> and the pastor said, that's right. You and I, as believers, living in the last days, are to reveal the glory of God, the character of Jesus Christ. He is to be sticking out all over you that other people, when they look at you, see Jesus. And that requires suffering. Because when your life is going well, and everything is fine, your husband is wonderful, your children never give you a problem, you've got plenty of money in the bank, a beautiful home, a car that never breaks down, and, and you've just got this wonderful life, and you, while you're going through this wonderful life, you smile, and you're sweet, and you're thoughtful, and you take casseroles to your neighbor, and you're just filled with joy. The world looks at you and shrugs, they don't even notice you. I mean, the worldling can do that, right? But when your car breaks down, and your husband loses his temper at you, and your kids rebel, and they're on drugs, and you lose your health, and your home is hit by the tornado and you're still kind and loving and filled with joy and thoughtful of other people, the world says, wait a minute, that is not natural. That must be supernatural. That must be Jesus. Do you see? Living in the last days, we rejoice in our possession of the glory of God. God lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit and if God lives in me, surely other people ought to be able to see him. And so God just lifts the veil of their eyes when we suffer and shows them our faith in verse 7 that's proved genuine, our love for him that doesn't dim or die down when we're suffering. We still love him because we trust him. In verse 9, your hope is not diminished. You're confident that all things are working together in your life for good because you love him and you're in his will. And in verse 6, in verse 9, you rejoice. You're still filled with joy. And they see your faith and your love and your hope and your joy, and they say, my word, that must be Jesus. Peter said, I've been imprisoned. I've been persecuted. But I rejoice in my possession of the glory of God that it can be revealed through me, refined through my suffering, that other people might see it and give praise when Jesus is revealed in my life. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do thank you and praise you 
as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for sending him to earth that he might reveal you to us. And Lord, we want to praise you for your word and the Holy Spirit which reveals Jesus to us that we might know you. Thank you for who you are. So I ask that you fill each heart here with joy as we go through this day, that we might rejoice in whose we are. And so we're rejoicing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been Living in the Light. Please take advantage of all the free resources at anngramlots.org to help and encourage you in your walk with God and in your study of His Word. Join us here each week for Living in the Light.